Welcome to The Bird Who Made Me Happy. This is Alicia Bridge, and I am your host. We're going to dive into the topic of what is it about bird songs that makes us so happy. You had a daughter, you bought a When I think about why I first became intrigued about bird songs, I can honestly say it might have been the stress of motherhood and the need to find some calm amongst everything. It could have also been my worry about the pandemic. Either way, I was on the search for answers for how to cope with the stress I was experiencing. And then one day on a drive, I heard a bird song. And it changed me. The times are a different My next guest is Chris Adam. Chris directs the Sustainability and Living Campus Office at Dawson College of Montreal. He has been recognized nationally and internationally for designing and implementing sustainability-related projects and leadership in education. He was most recently recognized with the Governor General's Meritorious Service Medal, one of the highest civil awards. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. It's fantastic to have this time with you. I love the concept of realizing that we we have certain threads that travel with us, I believe, at least through our lifetime, and that our curiosities that drive us now can sometimes have roots in our childhood. Knowing that you are an avid bird watcher, I guess I'm just so curious, where do you think that relationship with birds and how it relates to your work life now started when you were young? Well, I grew up in what was at the time a rural south shore of Montreal. There was a highway that separated me from a lot of people that I went to school with. And I spent a lot of time uh, alone. I do a lot of reflecting on that. And I think as a child, because nature is a neutral site, it gave me such confidence that I still have with me today. Mm-hmm. Because what I did was mine. And I didn't, I didn't have an instant comparison to anyone. Mm. Uh, and that's very validating. And it built what I call risk capital, that if I had a problem, I'd figure it out, I'd build it, I, I would try to solve some nature problem, spent an awful lot of time just watching beautiful pond I'm envisioning now, it had this beautiful flat rock I could just jump on. And I, I would stay there for hours and be aware of my shadow, because depending on the part of the day, my shadow helped look into the water. And other times, it would scare things I was trying to see because as I moved my hand, my shadow would move over here in the distance. And then the sounds of the birds, and the sounds were, of course, much more prominent than actual perhaps seeing them, but they became part of my memories and are such a big part of my library of what nature means. So that one bird call can take me right back to that childhood and everything it means. Something as specific as you know, hearing a bird and then knowing it's the same time of the year the bumblebees come out. It's the same time of the year that this flower comes out. All of those things come together. And as I talk to you today, I'm smiling because my thoughts and the language I'm using to try to express that are two completely different things. Because the thoughts, just all of that together, curiosity, discovery, patience, empathy, and asking so many questions. You know, what is a ripple? Why do birds sing? Mm -hmm knowing that if they didn't sing, that was 
that was also an evaluation of me or something around me. And when birds were singing, everything was normal. Everything was safe. The world was good. And all of those thoughts are, are, I'm reminded of uh, with particular species. And as I learned more about forest types yeah, intellectually, and this is more at school, and I, and I enjoyed that, but it's absolutely secondary and a distant second to the experience as a child of knowing the character of these microhabitats. And, and those bird calls bring them all right back. And if I happen to know the name of that bird, that's important in language as we speak today. But it's, it's the whole bird and what it represents that's far more important to me. Mm, I relate so much to that. And when you describe your childhood, I, I get that feeling that you were really being fully yourself and that that has shown over time to have been such an incredible skill set. You know, your ability to be present, to witness, to be curious, to create without concern of uh, judgment. Amazing. Yeah. And I think then the contrast of then what you learned in school that really robs us of those experiences. Uh, I, I still remember the day in high school when we had to dissect a frog. I saw the 45-gallon drum full of, full of these wonderful creatures and you know, nobody talked about whether it was male or female. Uh, I knew they would live for 10, 12 years. Uh, I happened to have a female full of eggs. That day I vowed that I would come back and teach what I felt, mm. putting knowing and feeling together, not just the knowing. But I ultimately dropped out because I was a, a daydreamer in class. I'd always sit in the back close to the windows where I could see some of the things. Maybe I'd see a robin in that tree and go back to these memories did decide I would teach and I became a, a teacher as part of a business and I, I developed a, a thriving business that used nature as a mentor uh, to get any point in education across. And then 20 years later, I went back to school to learn a little bit more about this language and how to express what I was experiencing pedagogically. Mm-hmm. Became a, a specialist in how to teach so that we fall in love with nature that we, we are able to share positive emotions and, and make friends while we learn about nature. Yeah, and I, I hear in that the sense of you developing your own language for how to live with nature and that it's a sense of being interconnected or a sense of being kind of interwoven in your surroundings. It comes from a place of witnessing what is happening rather than identifying the species. Does that sound right to you? Yes, yes. And I remember being with the teacher and we went on a field trip with her class, and I saw a yellow throat. There's the name, common yellow throat. So for non-birders, what does that mean? But a stunning small bird, and it's chirping, beautiful mask like a raccoon. Just looks mischievous. It's a beautiful little bird. And she described the bird to me, saying, you know, my grandfather used to take me out, and it's such great memories, and I, I, I could see these birds. And she starts describing what it is that I experienced as a child. She looks at the habitat. Oh, I always see them in these trees. She didn't know the names. Mm -hmm. But what she did for her class that day was interpret the environment and show her empathy for that environment without knowing the words. Yet it was the school system because we debriefed this afterwards. Well, she never took them on walks because she didn't know the name. I thought, oh, then make up the name, the raccoon bird. Mm Um, here it's kind of like, am I going to know the right bird? You know, there's a, almost a competition level and that the language becomes that more scientific language, that more knowledge-based language in terms of facts about the environment. 
that we could learn in books, but what you're really describing about, for me at least, is, is this sense of relationships. Hearing those bird calls, it could be insect calls that are associated with those bird calls, a bluebird with grasshoppers. You start to create this picture, a soundscape, that also tells you what's there and you don't have to see it. I mean, you could walk with your eyes closed and still have an idea of the habitat that's there because they wouldn't be making the various sounds they do uh, unless they were in that safe place, just like us, you know. That's something I also learned as a child, sitting on those rocks or, or just staying motionless. You know, I realized that if I didn't move my neck or my hands and my back hurt, but that was okay, but I just moved my eyes around, that I blended in. And that was also a goal that I still have today. I just want to blend in and I want the birds and, and the other animals that I see to be themselves, not to think that this person moving around potential danger. <sighs> I feel calm just listening. I think often we kind of make this interpretation that humans are negatively impacting the world. But what you've described for me is a totally different viewpoint where we're actually have a potential role to play in generating safe places from a place of creating habitat, but also safe places from the presence that we bring into that environment. It's, it's breaking it down into those little parts of a day, my day and the bird's day and saying, okay, for that bird, you did something for me, I feel better. I did something for you that's validating. Now, the opposite of that, we're being robbed of these experiences and what's replacing them. That to me is quite profound because we're only going to protect what we love. And when we lose those experiences, those sensory experiences, we, we are, we're frankly, as a generation, less connected to the very environment that supports us. And we don't have time to reflect. So it's not just for me, oh, it's spring, that's exciting. But it, it literally, when I hear those first white-throated sparrows, it's all of my childhood coming back right here in my backyard. So I can sit in the sun. Like I just got goosebumps just talking about it. And I thought the fact that that just happened to me suggests that even the, the memory of those calls are changing the hormones flowing through my blood that's making me feel better. So that's in my brain. And then my whole body just reacted. That's what bird calls can do to us. Mm-hmm which is really quite profound, and they trigger memories. They can trigger exact moments that we felt in the past very well. Sounds do that to us. And I'm not saying that, you know, this generation doesn't have that. Could be the music they create, they listen to. Um, it could be something on a video game that I'm not familiar with. But what I'm saying is we, we have an innate connection to the environment, and that is something I think we have to get back to. Yeah, I feel the sense of wanting to share this concept of co-regulating. There's certain understanding with infants that they haven't developed their emotional regulatory ability. And so as a parent, you you can participate in that. You can help them, you know, find a soothing sound, create a soothing space that they can kind of essentially bring their parasympathetic nervous system back into a relaxed state. And in knowing that, I'm often curious about how other environments or even other species can help to co-regulate us, even as adults. Yeah, and, and I think we know that even putting up a photo of a bird, a butterfly, a forest scene. So for a moment, put the, the intellectual part aside and say, why is that happening? It does, and we know it does. So people are more relaxed within 
minutes. It used to be, oh, 15 or 20 minutes, go for a walk. Within several minutes, in some cases within seconds, not in seeing the real thing. So when the stress levels go down, which they do with a hospital room that's painted the same color as the sky, if you put plants in a computer room, if you put, uh, you can put a mural of a window in a classroom that doesn't have a window, and it, there's a psychological effect. So now we're talking student success in school. But if we can reduce the stress by being outside in sunlight, blue sky, seeing a butterfly, listening to the birds, that, that's huge. And we do this at, at the college that I work at, Dawson College. We are putting rooftop gardens in. We're bringing plants in, into the building itself. We have a monarch nursery. We breed monarchs in downtown Montreal. We have wild ones actually coming down and doing their entire life cycle. We've identified 50 species of bird. Now, someone might say, well, Chris, student success, we spend a lot of money on various techniques. And but the, re the research is clear. Stress levels down, you have more creativity, more capacity to problem solve with that creativity. Imagination increased. So imagine a world where we would bring nature into our cities and our schools for moments and increase creativity, imagination, and problem-solving skills, in some cases by double digits in some studies, within minutes. It just seems, you know, we've done the opposite. So with Dr. Ryan, we started Sustainable Happiness, which is, you know, happiness of an individual, a group, a community, but it doesn't, that happiness is not created at the expense of other people's happiness and the planet. So well-being is one thing. We have schools that say well-being is central to our philosophy. What I'm trying to project in what we call living schools or living campuses where we have authentic projects, where relationships are built, it does meet curriculum content, but not at the expense of these relationships. And we, we use nature as a mentor to get our objectives across in the courses, increase these positive relationships, and fall in love with the planet again. And while we're doing it, we increase imagination, problem solving, creativity. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the holy grail. So we've got to bring these bird calls back to our urban center. And sometimes if I make it that simple, people go, Chris, what are you talking about? Hey, we can do this in downtown Montreal. We can invite kids and teach them about nature right here because we just let nature come. Then the birds come, they bring the seeds, we let them grow. We've got permission to just to let the grass grow. And... We were working on our landscape plan. And then I was talking to an indigenous person in very quiet. And I said, you know, what would you like to share? She just let it be. Just see what happened. Mm. He's exactly right. Let nature decide what should grow in this corner. Oh. Let the birds bring in the seeds and the seeds that can thrive well. Oh my gosh. And isn't that what you got as a child? Just let him be. Let him go out there and see what he comes up with. Now when I work, I can still be reminded of my youth. Mm at a country place. I can still be reminded of who I was then, and I haven't changed inside. Of course, my body has, but my mind is still that little boy. And I get to, to, to walk with a skip down the hall thinking, hey, you know, I get paid to make sure birds are calling and butterflies visit and honey can be produced on our rooftop and there's enough flowers that they can actually take the nectar from. Mm -hmm. I think what I might take away from it is that I really get the sense that you found something when you were young that was so precious that you were dedicated, were absolutely driven to not just 
preserve or support it, but to be able to generate more of it for others. And what I love is that in my mind, as an adult, you've actually just recreated an environment that you thrive in, in order to work in it, you know, like you've gone into a brick and mortar and recalibrated it towards a child's eye, a child's creativity. And that that sense of intrinsic motivation that we know from, you know, young children who haven't necessarily been given the rule books for how to how to succeed in life in terms of society's punishment and rewards, that there's this intrinsic motivation that is this creativity that you're speaking to, you know, that we we problem solve so much better when we are given an open space to be able to explore, to be able to not define what it needs to look like. And it's almost to me like you, whether that's spiritually or soulfully tapped into a simple truth as a young child and have carried that with you as a manifesto for how to live and that you've, you've been able to offer that to other people. And it, it works. The wonderful thing about nature, it doesn't matter what your interest is. Nature is this inspiration for artists. Nature is a storehouse. It's a library for medicine. It celebrates diversity. You know, EDI is everything, right? Equity, diversity, inclusion. Everyone's talking about it. Just watch a garden. Watch a forest. There's so much to learn there. So regardless of what an interest is or, or the knowledge you want to gain, how do we use it so that we can be happy using it and help others in the planet with that material? And that's sustainable happiness. Mm-hmm. It's not sustaining happiness. It's understanding we have a full range of emotions, but we can choose that our happiness doesn't affect other people. So to me, it's the culmination of all my work. And it's something that we're now teaching and, and hopefully spreading across Canada very soon. So if you look at the, the naturalization project we did on a rooftop that attracted the duck, which was a great evaluation for us as, a, as an institution, we had mechanical engineering students involved in that because we wanted to know what the weight load issues were. How much soil can we put on the rooftop? Can we put rocks? Can we, can we put a pond? What if we had a one in 50 year snow event? So all of a sudden, mechanical engineering students were connected to, to the garden and the duck that came into the garden. So they were thrilled. We had nursing students that were doing projects on how excited people were to work on this project, get their hands dirty. These are students who might think, I really like nature, but I chose this program. And I think, what a shame. We should all choose nature at one point. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's the future of education. Then there's hope. Mm-hmm. I want to read this quote that you sent to me or this line you sent to me when we were talking about what a bird call means to you. And you said, a bird that sings and successfully nests is an evaluation that something is right in the world, given the hundreds of ecological associations needed to sustain a family of birds. I just love what a profound way you were interconnecting the well-being of the bird with your own well-being. And know that they're not one and the same, but they work together you know they generate happiness that the the bird's well-being generates a sense of increased happiness in us and that it's that it's a force it's a force of nature if you will it it really is it is part of our well-being it's just incredible it's it's a treat when a bird rests close to you splash a puddle close to you it's almost um almost like a soulful experience when you're that close and your eyes just meet and you know that this creature trusts you 
that is really special. That's, again, a validation to all the things that I learned as a child and I continue to develop. Just be still, be calm, gradual movements. It's, it's okay. And I actually feel that. And I get this amazing, soothing feeling through my body. It's okay. It's just okay. Where does that notion of it's going to be okay come when, I, when I'm close to that bird? It doesn't matter because I feel it. And that's real to me. And it affects me. So the most stressful days I have when I've got projects and um, I just don't know how I'm going to do them. And the easiest thing is just to give up. But then I'll come home. I'll sit with my birds somewhere in my yard beside my pond and the stress levels will go down that are blocking me. But the vision of using nature as mentor, bring this back to a, a generation through no fault of their own that are disconnected from it is, is what I want to do. And those bird calls just feed me. They just, they're always saying, keep going, keep, keep going. One of the things that I get from it is that, you know, you're speaking to how when we hear birds, we observe a sense of it's safe out there. But you also gain another level of trust. It's not just like it's safe to go outside. It sounds like you gain the sense of it's safe to rest, it's safe to listen, and to lean into a trust that you will, um, an answer will come, a direction will come. There's more of a sense of working with life and with what's happening versus having to force I'm just I'm, my whole body's smiling because as I'm as, as I'm listening to you and that's exactly the word I'm thinking about there's a huge difference between living in those sounds living with them is a totally mm. different world and are you living with nature or are you living in it we tend to push nature aside put up a fence crew cut grass grass brought over from Europe, biological mm -hmm. desert, plant what trees we want, usually trees from another place. And then our plants are addicted to fertilizer and we have to water them. It's just the exact mm -hmm. opposite. Can you imagine if we all just gave 10% of our yards back? 10%. Plant a tree. If people say, well, what's the big deal? It's the big deal for the bird that rests there in your cedar tree during a storm. It's a big deal for the robin. And that's the only place in the world that made its nest only place because they don't make a nest where they go that's a whole misconception birds come here to make their nest so once you feel you're living with those sounds you're helping those sounds you're part of the web you're part of the web you belong yeah i mean i i hear that i mean the difference between i'm gonna go out into nature or i'm gonna go be with the birds hmm. You know, there's a real sense when I hear someone say, like, I'm going to go be with the birds or I'm going to go be with the garden, really taking away that observation perspective that we are an outside observer. And I think when you're with or you feel you belong, it changes the perspective in terms of responsibility. What is your individual and collective responsibility to these creatures? Mm -hmm. I was reading, for example... The next couple of years are critical to certain bird species and the monarch butterfly that also migrates. And I thought, we have to help as much as we can. Every flower helps. As I said earlier, every tree helps. Every sound is, resonates with, I'm still here. Give me more space. A nesting bird in the backyard, to me, is, is one of the best evaluations a person can have that you're doing something right. That little bird came back to your place because it feels safe. It has food. 
It has nesting material. Mm-hmm. So I can look at my own well-being in a very egotistical and selfish way. Our happiness should not affect future generations. It's just giving back. It's this whole notion of connecting your happiness to living thing. And I think a lot of what we've talked about today, too, are character traits we don't have enough time to develop in school. We're busy. We're always busy learning. Humility and humanity takes time. Mm-hmm. And you've got to learn how to do nothing. I, I still say today when I teach children, there should be a course called Doing Nothing. How, how are you still? How are you still to the point where your clothing isn't moving because you're listening to the leaves? Or you can hear a snake in the grass. You can hear a toad jumping. You can hear your own heartbeat, which many students at 18, 19, 20 haven't ever attempted. More went outside and sat on a rock and listened to some bird calls and just thought about life and, and why those sounds are there and what those sounds need to exist. And maybe even have some of those memories I talked about earlier. We would have better bankers and better engineers. So humility and humanity are character traits that we haven't developed. And I'm convinced part of it, at least, if not a large part of it is, we haven't been out there in the very environment that builds that so much. Well, I have no question in my mind that that course will exist. You're in the future and you will make it possible. Uh, for some reason, I actually feel like just talking today is like a mini course in 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 that doing nothing. You know, I want to be able to uh, meet more more birds and more frogs eye to eye and have them reach out to me. I feel like that's this great challenge that you've kind of kind of put out there is how to get closer. You know, both emotionally but also physically to some of our friends out there. So. Thank you. Sincerely. You had a daughter and you bought a home. I saw your mother. Thank you.